Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. We've got Will in studio today. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from your Super Talk Mississippi app. Of course, you know, you can always find us on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. You can watch us, too. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com. We've talked about a lot of farming and the importance of agriculture here on good things over the years, but I don't know if I've ever talked about goat farming, and we get the chance to do that today. Joining us is Scott Jenkins. He is with Coles Ridge Farms out of Sturgis, Mississippi, and they're up to some pretty good things when it comes to goats. So, hey, Scott. How you doing? Thank I think you for you're, having me, Rebecca. I know you're not my first farmer to talk to that may have goats on their property, but you're definitely, I think, my first goat-focused farmer. So I'm curious, how did your family get in get into goats? Well, it's been a progression over 20 years, but I, I grew up in South Carolina. Both of my parents are from here in Mississippi, but I, after high school and some college, I went to outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and I worked for several grade A and grade B goat dairies there, and I spent about 10 years all the way from a milking hand to a miller up to a resident dairy herd manager. And so in 2010, I made a move here to my grandparents' farm, in Tupelo, and um, and yeah, the goats have kind of just progressed. I've always looked at possibly starting my own business um, as a cheese producer, and over the past four or five years, it's sort of become a possibility, and so we are currently working on building a grade-A small-on cheese business in Tupelo, right? We hope to open in sometime in 2023. Well, your name of your farm is Coles Ridge Farms, and I was doing a little digging on your face or on your website earlier, Scott. I love who inspired the name of your farm. Share that story. Um, well, we had in 2000, you know, beloved pet by the name of Cold. He was a yellow lab, and um, we lost him to tragic accident. And so, anyway, we wanted to honor him and incorporate his name into our new farm name and the reason we had changed our farm names because we brought in someone else who's now co-owner of the herd, and that's Rocky Lemus, who is from Sturgis, Mississippi. And um, before Coles Ridge Farms, it was Branchwater Farm. I'd had that name in North Carolina. So bringing on a new partner into the business, we decided to change that name. It's just everything at the right time. It was in our dog who was a valuable team here, team member here. Yeah. Um, inspired to the name to Cold Ridge Farm. 
I love that. That's okay. what it is, and that's what it will be. That's what it will be. I love that, though. As a, I think all pet owners can appreciate that uh, for sure. Right. And they, they, it's definitely, it's not a farm without without um, some fur love there, some fur friends, um, for sure. Definitely. And then not some yep. cheese too. So I love this goat cheese. You know, often uh, we think of cheese, we don't think of the different varieties. We also don't think of the different varieties that we can make here in Mississippi. And so goat cheese, when did you start, I guess, experimenting with using goat milk to make cheese with? Well, back in 2002, when I purchased my very first dairy goats, I purchased them and, you know, thinking I would like to produce some cheese. And I did that. I made really simple farmer-type cheeses and things. And um, then when I went to work for some of the grade A and grade B dairies, whose business was cheese, I picked up tips and advice and just experimented on my own um, with making different types of cheese. And we now make all kinds of different, starting from a chev, which is similar to a cream cheese with cow's milk. And then we also, all the way up to a bloomy rind cheese, which is getting into some kind of blue cheese type, very very potent smelling cheeses um, that are kind of a little more, advanced at making they take an aging process and so uh, but in between that we do all kinds of cheddars monterey jacks we do a manchego style cheese Um, so yeah we also do some ice cream and other sweet things like fudge you know scott i've got a little bit of knowledge about dairy farming in terms of cows for milk and then how much milk that takes or how much a cow can produce i would feel like to produce the same amount of cheese you would probably need more goats so how many dairy goats do you need to be That's productive right. in in the cheese business right well a family and which is really popular now people are doing a lot of backyard dairy herding and cheese making in their kitchens so a small family could just have two, maybe three goats and have plenty of milk for a, say, five-person family and then also to make some cheese once a week. On a, on a commercial side, we're looking at more. Some of the dairies I worked at, we had up to 300 goats, and maybe 100 of those at one time would be in production for milk. Um, and then a, a very small dairy, which is what we will be in, in starting out, we'll have approximately 30 does in milk to get us started. And you're right, it takes several goats to equal the amount of the milk you're going to get from a cow. So, um, Does it work the same way, Scott? Is it twice a day that they go in for their milking? Um, it is. Or, or is it any it different? Is. It is twice a day, and that's what steers a lot of people away from animals is the commitment you have. You have to be there morning and night to do that milking. And then you have to, of course, manage the animals, manage your farm, manage the product, which is the milk, after you milk those animals. So it's an intense process um, in management, whether you're a business or not, if you're just doing it in your backyard. It's an intense process, and you need to be really committed to it. You're, unless you have somebody very experienced with animals that, that could farm sit for you, you're kind of strapped down to your farm um, and committed to that twice-a-day milking. So, yes. Same with cows. So you have taken your cheese, or you guys have, and you went on a competition tour at least to Syracuse, New York, back in October, and y'all won it. So what'd you take there? Yeah, well, I, the registry we're a part of, and the oldest one in the United States, is the American Dairy Goat Association, which was established in 1904. And every year they hold an annual convention, and part of the convention with many other activities and competitions, but one part of it is a cheese competition. 
And they've got two categories for that um, competition. One is the commercial, which are licensed and operating dairies in the United States. And then they have an amateur division for people that are not licensed. Um, so we, of course, are not licensed and participated in the um, amateur division, but we did win the best in show with our feta cheese, and we had several first place um, and second place placings with other varieties of cheeses. So we are very proud of that. Do you sell your cheeses at all right now, Scott, or is it more of just you're making them for the enjoyment of friends and family? That's right. Friends and family. Legally, we can't sell cheese products without a grade A or grade B license. And so that's been the a hurdle for us to get beyond. We've worked with the health department, and we're about halfway through the process now. But um, there's a lot of regulations and a lot of cost involved with having the correct um, equipment and things to be a grade A commercial dairy. And so we're hopefully sometime in 2023 we'll do that process to have our license for grade A. So. Well, we will be ready to have you back so you can at least release that news and get us all excited about it. But from the consumer side, we're happy to hear that there's, you know, steps in place and safety protocols and all when you're producing something that you can eat. But I know you're already having people already coming to your farm in terms of learning. How have you connected with students and vet students who are interested in goat farming? We have. And fortunately, right now, our farm is located in Sturgis, which is close to Mississippi State University. And so several of the instructors and professors there have taken advantage of our farm, and we have hosted several, for several years now, um, class and courses that bring their students out, um, specifically the Animal and Dairy Science Department, and then also some groups of vet students from Mississippi State Vet School. And uh, they come out and get an opportunity to kind of hands-on um see the goats, get their hands on them, see the steps involved in milking goats every day and twice a day. They also get to hear about the nutritional side, all of the input stuff that has to go into the goats to get the milk from them. Um, they also get to hear about our breeding and our programs that we use here that have worked for us. What do um, goats then, like to eat? Our goat, this is where having Rocky come on board with business has been really a great advantage for he is also a forage specialist for extension here at Mississippi State. He's really been able to to uh, have a big effect on the input side of our goats nutritionally. But our goats, we feed them a, a, a concentrate ration that's 20% protein. That's during their milking stage. And it really takes a lot of protein to get the goats to produce them, um, an optimal amount of They're not much different than humans. Hey, Scott, we've got to go to a break, but I want to hear about your other programs that you're taking your goats and knowledge to Guatemala. We'll do that coming up next here on Good Things. Thank you.
making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. Good things. We are on your computer, your mobile device. You can watch it on Roku, Amazon Fire TV devices. You can now watch Super Talk TV too, live on C Spire TV. If you got C Spire TV, you can find us on Channel 70, right next to the Weather Channel. And if you check your Weather Channel app all the way out to Christmas, some of us may be forecasted to have a white Christmas here in Mississippi. We're continuing our conversation with Scott Jenkins. He is with Coles Ridge Farms. They are participating in performance programs when possible. When it comes to their dairy goats and Scott you said even though Mississippi isn't like home home for you you moved here that you would look forward to a white Christmas too huh yeah I sure would uh 2010 the year I moved here um we had a dusting I remember Christmas morning which was unexpected but while in Mississippi I spent many Christmas and summers here with my grandparents in the Tupelo area. So it really is my second home for sure uh, here in Mississippi. Well, we definitely welcome you and now call you one of our own. That's over 12 years ago. You're basically family now, right. <laughs> Scott, here in Mississippi. Yeah, and you're taking your knowledge. I love this part. You're you're giving back. And so you at Coleridge Farms, you guys participate in USAID Farmer to Farmer Project in Guatemala. Walk that. Walk us through that. What does that look like? So, yeah, we were we were recommended by some people here in Mississippi, and and uh, the Farmer to Farmer USAID program reached out to us, um, uh, specifically a group called the Cab 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 Pro C A B um, P R O group out of Guatemala, out of Guatemala City, contacted us and invited us to uh, come and help. They are basically there's a malnutrition issue, especially with children up in the western highlands of a municipality called Cheyenne, which to us is a county. So we're talking about an indigenous culture of people, kind of Mayan descendants, and um, they've looked for different remedies over decades now to fight malnutrition in children. One that's come up in the past five years, and there's been an attempt to uh, be successful at, is raising dairy goats. And this would be individual families raising goats, and so the program is in place. The families, I believe it's 300 families in the municipality, have received individual goats. And so now there's an effort to improve the breeding of them and the crossbreeding of them um, to improve milk production so that they actually have enough milk to benefit them. And hopefully one day have a surplus that they can market themselves in their communities. So we were invited and it's kind of a, I guess a, six-month process. Um, we left here about three weeks ago um, on the 27th of November, and we were gone for two weeks. And literally, it's just what it sounds like. We were at some technicians that guided us and hosted us the whole time we were there. They took us into these indigenous communities, and we worked one-on-one with families um, in helping them uh, establish management programs for their dairy goats. We also held some workshops. Rocky did some um, some presentations for groups of women there on forages and nutritional um, needs of dairy and the resources that they have. At their availability, I also did some very simple cheese-making demonstrations to help some of these um, community members to do with their milk 
when they do have a surplus or enough to use for their families. Which is crazy so, to think, yeah. Scott, that, you know, what makes Mississippi so strong is the fact that we are an agricultural state. And so when you think way back when, right, this is exactly why we thrived and flourished is the fact that we were able to, you know, live off our land and have um, not only, you know, plant our crops and, and things of that nature, but we were also able to have livestock, including goats or cows or, you know, those type of things. And if you don't have a land set up for that, you're really at a disadvantage um, in terms of the food and the nutrients that you can provide your family so you know it's it's interesting because we take we take that for granted here now I feel like and then now there's other communities who are so grateful for the knowledge that we can share that's right yeah we and then we felt felt the same way as sort of a um, easy question to answer when they invited us and we would love to share and promote economic development and food security abroad that's Never imagined we had been invited before, and we were really excited to be a part of the ongoing program. We look to return to Guatemala maybe in the spring of 2023. We're still working that out, but it'll be an ongoing program for a few years and project. So we're really excited to be a part of it and hope we represent Mississippi well. So. Oh, I'm sure you absolutely do. And I think, um, so with the goats that you're taking over there, I know it's primarily probably for the dairy, for the kids in terms of the nutrition, which again reminds us the importance of drinking milk uh, for kids. It packs such a nutritional punch, whether it's goat milk or, or cow's milk. But um, how long will those goats, how long can a goat produce dairy before it moves on to, you know, being supper? Right. So, yeah, a goat... As you're looking at, any you know, part of our um, production here are, is a surplus of male goats, which are used for meat. But over in Guatemala, with female goats, if, they're, if the management is right on those goats, you're hopefully and should get anywhere from 8 to 13 years of wow. animal in production. Right. So, yeah, it's long. It's a long period. And, um, however, everything else has to be done correctly, including um, breeding decisions, your nutritional um, input. So a lot of that we are helping them with, which they've had no exposure to in the past. So, so yeah, a dairy goat should be productive for many, many years. Well, you bring up a good point if you think about using livestock as, as a source of curbing hunger or nutritional deficiencies or malnourishment. Those livestock also have to be fed, right, to be able That's to continue right. to provide the nourishment in terms of at least um, cows or dairy goats. And so, you know, when we look at, like, greater issues across the world in terms of feeding, there's just a lot of uh, – it's just not easy, right? There's not always an easy answer to that. But knowledge That's is right. key. And so helping them manage it, to me, is right. Is really cool. And, of course, have access to certain types of feed and and high concentrate feeds that we would have here in the United States. So that's where Rocky has Rocky Lemus has come and sort of available there and what kind of resources there are to try to maximize the resources they have as far as input goes for the goats that make that work for that region. You know, and you can't, you can hug a dairy cow. I totally can do that. But you can't, like, love on one like you can a goat. We're looking at the great picture over at Super Talk TV of her holding the goat. I feel like they have such the brightest personalities. What would po- what would folks be surprised to learn about, like, goats just in general in terms as a as a pet? I know they're not a pet. I know they're your right. livestock. But they've, they've got to feel like family. Right. They are livestock. And, you know, they, 
they've become an a American icon here in our country lately. They're just very popular right now. And so, um, but, you know, any dairy animal, and I've had many cow people tell me this too, you know, when you're managing an animal twice a day, you're assisting it when it gives birth, and you're milking it twice a day, you're feeding it twice a day, they just, you become attached to them regardless. So, yes, eventually some animals have to fall, do not or um, are not contributing in some way, but the goats are especially easily easy to get attached. Their personalities are sort of, I don't know, maybe in between a dog and a cat. They're just very personable, um, very entertaining. They're just great animals to have to work with. So, um, Do you think there would ever be goat yoga at Coles Ridge Farms? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we're open to any of the suggestions, and part of what we want to do is promote agritourism and education on our farm in Tupelo. So we will be open for the public to come in and see what we're doing, see how we make the cheese, see how we manage our goods. And, yes, we would love to have special events at our farm like that. So, yes, um, anybody that's willing to lead something like that, <laughs> please reach out to us because it will not be us. But, but we'd love to host it. Well, you're right. It feels like goats are kind of having their moment. And I think it's cool just to have the conversation that here in Mississippi, you know, we have a diversity in agriculture, even in livestock. And just because it's not traditionally what you see doesn't mean it doesn't have a place or it doesn't have an opportunity to grow economically and become a thriving sure. business. And so if we want to check out what you're doing and stay up to date, uh, Scott, where where can we get in touch with you guys? Well, we are at Coles Ridge Farms on Facebook, and then we have ColesRidgeFarms.com as our website. Um, we do have a TikTok that we are trying to figure out, but you're welcome to catch clips of us there. Um, but Facebook's probably the best place to to us or to just see um, daily posts of what's going on here with our herd. I've never met Rusty Scott, but if you want your TikTok to go viral, I would just you two try to do goat yoga with the goats okay. that you've got, and I'm pretty okay. sure you're going to kick off at least people interested in what oh, you great. all what, what you all are doing. It's easy. I think you just get down and you they get on your back and you try to balance. Just give that a right, try. Well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. <laughs> uh, Scott, I appreciate your time. I love what you guys are doing. Please keep in touch. When y'all get up and have some cheese for sale, let me know. Definitely. Thank you for having me. All righty. You guys stick with us. we got more for you up next. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. good things don't forget we are streaming live over at supertalk.fm santa will be working around the clock this christmas and guess who he'll be listening to 
Super Talk, of course. A Mississippi Christmas with Steve Azar returns here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's starting December the 23rd at 1 p.m. And Steve will play hours and hours of Christmas classic tunes from Mississippi artists like Christmas and plus Christmas memories from Steve's celebrity friends, which today on In a Mississippi Minute, Will, I heard him ask his guest for a Christmas memory. I bet we'll hear that in, in Mississippi Christmas. But you can watch it at Supertalk TV or stream it live at supertalk.fm or on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. But the Supertalk TV, if you add that element, you will have the Yule Log roaring in the background. Does it roar while while they sing? It doesn't. It, it was kind of hard. I wrote that out, and it's kind of like, <laughs> how do I explain? It's a burning log, okay? It's a faux burning log. It's a faux burning log, and if you go to Super Talk TV during a Mississippi Christmas, you'll hear the Christmas music, but you'll also get the added benefit of a burning log. So you don't just see the like it's not just a blank fit. Yeah, yeah. You, you have s- the you see the burning log, and it burns and like moves and stuff. Uh, but you don't get the roar of it. I couldn't figure out a way to do that. That would be a lot. Every now and then, there just needs to be a random crackle. So if you don't actually have a fireplace in your home, you're completely freaked out. You think that something's on fire, and you and have to remind yourself. And they never change the log out for some reason. It just, <laughs> just keeps that, burning. Every now and then, they need to have someone come in and do the little poke, poke, <laughs> stick, stick, and, and keep it going. But that's the beauty of technology. And it's a great way to put on a little good background noise while you're getting prepared for the festivities that upcoming weekend. Now, a lot of folks have already done a lot of festivities. You've probably gone to a lot of Christmas parties. You may even had a white elephant exchange. Do you know what that is, Will? White elephant is kind of like a dirty Santa. It's played like dirty Santa, but it's usually where you bring either a tacky gift or an off-the-wall gift or something. And if, say, 25 people show up, there's 25 tickets, and then you draw your ticket. And then if you're number one, you get to select a gift. Number two gets the chance to steal or then select another gift, and it keeps going on. If a gift gets stolen twice, that's usually how the rules go, then the gift is considered dead, and you can no longer steal it, right? So the last person gets the best, like number 25 gets the best opportunity because they get to see everything. The only thing they can't quote-unquote steal would be anything that's been stolen twice. Why am I telling you this? Because one woman won the white elephant gift of a lifetime, but she almost lost it because it got stolen. She ended up with a scratch-off ticket. She got the scratch-off ticket. And so it got. she picked it, and this was in Kentucky, I think. She picked it, and then someone recognized what it was. It was a $25 limit, so it was $25 um, scratch-off. And, of course, somebody else stole it. But with something like that, you have to wait till it's either dead or to the end of it before you can actually use it that's not that's not fair and so whatever she chose you know it got stolen you can't steal it right back so she got something else she was really bummed but then somebody else stole her gift again so her gift got stolen twice which then give gave her the opportunity to go back and get her scratch-off ticket so she got it back so then it was considered dead and so she could actually you know scratch it off how much do you think Oh, I have no idea. Tell me. What's a scratch-off? So usually those aren't too high. But $175,000. Which we've talked before here on Good Things every time the holidays roll around, reminding you that, you know, the Mississippi Lottery scratch-offs, all those fun lottery tickets, whatever, they make great stocking stuffers. They're they're, they're fun for this. And then every time we go back and say, imagine being the person who bought it. And then it went out. I would include a note that if you win, (laughs) if you win, 
I get fifty percent. I get or you know I don't some legally binding document to go along with it. You know, I mean, and that's part of the fun, right? Is that you you walked away with the best um, white elephant, dirty Santa, whatever you want to call it, sort of gift ever, Uh, and then thinking through the person. No, now you got to think about all the broken, the trails of broken hearts. It's the person who bought it, man. And I bet that person who bought, most people who buy scratch offs for gifts buy one for themselves. I mean, rarely is it like, I'm just going to spend 100 bucks in scratch offs and give them to everybody and not give myself a chance to win the gift of a lifetime. And now you're sitting there looking at them and you're like, well, which one? Which one do I keep? You know, which can you get? Like, you want to have like x ray vision to be able to see through them. I'll tell you who the winner of that was Uncle Sam because he got oh, the yeah. taxes off of it. Well, she definitely walked away with at least more than, oh, yeah. than $25. Wow. But how cool is that? So if you still got time, I mean, they make great stocking stuffers and they make great, you know, fun gifts or whatever. Um, our My sister in law usually buys us, not the $25 ones, but a little bit cheaper to always have fun with. Nobody's ever, I think we may have won a dollar. Some one of us have. One a dollar or so, but nobody's ever hit the actual jackpot. But knowing my in-laws, it would probably be better off if we just don't win. It <laughs> it would probably come down to some sort of fist fight over. No, that one was mine. No, it was totally mine. And so you know, see how that goes down. But that's always a lot of fun. Not really a scratch off, but still something to be proud of. We talked about earlier here on Good Things this week. The play uh, play verse. I want to call it. Play VS, but it's esports. It's the esport league that's here in Mississippi for high schools. They had their state championships in Hattiesburg Wednesday, Tuesday. I can't, someday before today. And so I got the winners. Do you, would you have taken um, part in an esports team in school? Depending on what game we were playing. So Satilla High School came in first place. Saltillo. Saltillo, sorry. You know that from football. Came in first place for the Super Smash Brothers. Championship. Do you know that game? Yeah, I've played it before. I suck at it. I wouldn't have. And then Pearl High School was the runner-up to Satillo. And then Rocket League Championship. Do you know what that is? Uh Uh-uh. Rocket League? Me either. But Biloxi High School came in first place. And so they are state champions, and they will move on to the national championships for eSports. The amount of scholarship money and potential um, NIL and all that crap that you know, you guys talk about in the sports world for these e. Are you calling me athletes? Is that fair? I don't know. I think you do call them e athletes. E athletes. I don't. <laughs> I don't know the right term. We try. The lady was really kind and gracious with all my ignorance, answering my questions. Like I get it, but I'm still trying to, you know, understand it because I'm an e athlete. I'm going to sit here in this comfortable <laughs> chair, air conditioned, and play my video game. Well, she said now that it's schools that participate here in Mississippi, they have coaches like any other sport. Yeah. And that there's rule and, rules and regulations, and because it's a prominent sedentary thing, they've got built-in breaks and movement and exercise. They have grade requirements to all the things that a parent would say, I don't want little Johnny playing video games because... They're going to sit around. Their grades are going to suffer. suffer. They're going to, you know, just sort of be bumping the log and all this. They've tried to work in boundaries and balance into at least with the school side of it. Um, but, hey, anything that can be competitive and then something can be marketed big, and sold. It's a big business. It's a big business. There's a lot of people that play. You don't realize it, but there's a lot of people that play video games, and that 
esports thing is something that has exploded. And there's people that make millions of dollars doing it. You never know. Which is nuts. When you were playing, when it, you were. But, but it, it, it does make sense when you consider the fact not that. Not nuts in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. But video game industry is bigger than the movie industry. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know. You, you think about Star Wars, you think, well, Star Wars, the movies, that's the big thing. No, the video games actually make more money than the movies do. What do you think the Guinness World Record for largest collection of video games is? Texas man has it. Well, you me guess his name? Yeah. No, not the person. The number of video games. Oh. <laughs> yes. 100,000. 100, I don't know. Oh, you went way over. 24,268 games. Where does he store all those things? Yep. I don't know. Antonio is his first name. Um, who had it? So it's they're worth an estimated $2.1 million. Dollars. Wow. Mm-hmm. 24 1,268 games. I remember getting that Nintendo for Christmas. The regular, original Nintendo. And I remember thinking, this is the greatest thing that has ever... Screw going to the moon. This is (laughs) humanity's greatest achievement. So I don't remember when I got a Nintendo. I do remember... I have memories prior to that. My brother, half-brother who was older, had an Atari. I remember the Atari. We had a Nintendo. I don't, like, remember it. But I remember the Christmas I got my blue Sega Genesis that was handheld. Mm-hmm. And it came with the big battery pack that screwed on into the back. Yeah. And then you had, like, the big disc-sized whatever that would go, you know, go into it. had a huge briefcase that unzipped <laughs> because all the games were so big. Yeah. And I played that. I played the buttons off of off of that thing. That was my and even I was so bougie. I had the magnet the magnifying clip on that would make it So it'd make the screen bigger? Make the screen bigger. <laughs> <laughs> that that was sort of you know what? Maybe I missed my calling. But it, I don't think esports was around in ninety five, ninety seven. I was trying to think when that would have been. Hopefully it would have been my... I remember getting the Nintendo that had like the, the pad that you would run on. Mm-hmm. And I remember Telling my mom, oh, this is going to be great exercise for me, Mom. I'm not just going to be sitting here playing a video game with my thumbs sitting on the couch. I'm going to be running up and down. I never used that, that running no, pad. you but. never did. No. All right, stick with us. we got more for you up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks to Matthew the Bagpiper from Hattiesburg. Chimed in on the ceasefire text line here on Good Things. The handheld Sega Genesis was called the Nomad. Yes. No, I remember. I just remember it was blue and it was beautiful and it was my friend and we spent many hours together and I wore out so many of those um, of those little uh, game cartridges for for sure and I carried that thing around with so much pride. But before there were video games, there were good old board games and card games. Remember those guys? You actually had to pull them off the shelf and sit around together. 
Very few games you could oh, play by yes. yourself other than Remember just solitaire. It'd bring the family together as a one cohesive unit until Dad stole the stupid <laughs> money from the community chest, and you'd have to fight him back for. Yes, it was. Such or until a, your until your loved one held back that draw four until the <laughs> you know the very opportune time to just send you back to Uno, you know where. You wonder why that get out of jail free card? No one's pulled it yet. It's because. Little brother took it and had it the entire time. Um, what did what did families do before like Uno, Face Ten, and some of all those cards? Over on the Good Things Facebook group, I've asked you what is your favorite board or card game to play with others. This is going to be the perfect time, particularly because this got started in my little family group chat, looking at the weather and joking about the fact we may have a white Christmas. It's it is p- more probable than in other years to potentially have a really cold, if not a white Christmas here for certain parts of the state. And so my mother-in-law was like, well, it's going to be too cold for the kids to go outside, which Santa brings jackets, but that's for another conversation. What board games do we want to play? And I thought, well, other families are probably going to be looking at that. So you may already have those traditions in your home. What are those go-to board or card games that you guys do for for fun? Um, Billy says uh, Rummy Q which I think is a is a fun one. Rook. I forget about a lot of these yeah, the, the the card games. So Uno. Now what's the di- I know Uno, but how is Phase 10 different? I do not know. I can't remember. I've I never played, played Phase 10. I've played both, but um okay, so Lane loves Exploding Kittens. Okay. So I thought that the first Wait, Exploding Kittens, so somebody else mentioned it and then Kristen chimed in with, "Yeah, my son loves it." So I thought someone was being inappropriate on the Facebook group with exploding. Sounds terrible, but apparently it is a board game slash card game that some families enjoy. If you can explain to me how it's played, I'd appreciate it. But other card games, Spades. Did you grow up playing Spades? No, we didn't play Spades. What about 21? 21. In other locations, it's called other things. Yes. But when it's not gambling, it's... We didn't play a lot of card games. It was mainly board games, and Monopoly was the one that Spoons. we played. Yes, yeah. You we, were a Monopoly family. We were a Monopoly family, and uh, it was pretty cutthroat. And it was one of those where it would last for hours upon hours upon hours. You never really, I don't ever remember finishing one. It was just everybody would get so angry at each other, they would all leave at some point. That's kind of like Candyland with the younger kids. Right, it's like you, Candyland is your introductory board game for mm-hmm. kids to figure out like kind of how it all works, but it can be the game that never ends if you keep spinning the wrong, you know, and going down yeah. the shoots and or I guess it's sort of the same as shoots and ladders. This kind of introductory game as well um, with the same sort of concept. You always find yourself and you start counting by twos if your kids are young enough they don't know what you're trying to do just to get to the top to actually <laughs> to actually win which board games did y'all play you know we had those um oh what's the one that you, uh, the it's not a board game he's <laughs> operation, operation. Well, that's kind of a board game. It's kind of a board game, yeah. But we were more of a card game family. So I grew up playing gin rummy with my granny um, and um, bridge. She taught me bridge. She taught you bridge? Oh, absolutely. She had all the all. She had the bridge club. You know, before there was um, 
oh, what the the parties that families host nowadays? Um, that used to be Bunko. Before Bunko, old ladies gathered to smoke cigarettes and play bridge, and eat snacks and gossip. And so that was that was a week weekly thing at, at our family's house. So bridge, gin, rummy, and then um, we did a lot of Uno. That was kind of yeah. card games more than board games in our family. Uno was for so sure. fun. It can get it can get, you know, it can you can because you can be card and then oh. So do you play where you have to be card free, or do you win when you say Uno? Uh, I think we did the card free version, if I remember. It's been a long, long time. Yeah, well, I mean, different families have different cheaters in the family. They would hide cards and you know the wild card or whatever. (laughs) They would hide that in their pocket, and then all of a sudden they'd pull it out. That would be my that would be my kid. My kid would do that. She cried the first time she lost. <laughs> she didn't understand that you had an opportunity to come back and, and, and do it again. But we'll have the opportunity to see you here again tomorrow. But right now you've got Sports Talk Mississippi from three to six. And we'll be back here tomorrow at two. But until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.